Any questions for me other than that before we get going? No, man. Let's rock it. <laughs> All right. I'm so putting that one at the intro. This is number 212. Let's do it. Thank you so much for stopping by the Biz Women Rock podcast. I'm so very excited that you're here. I'm Katie Kremitzos. This podcast exists because it is a place for you to access very authentic stories from businesswomen so you can hear the ups, the downs, the tools, the strategies, all sorts of good stuff so that you can let it impact your business the way that you need to right now. If this is your first time stopping by the podcast, thank you so much. I really appreciate that you're here. If you're a longtime listener, you rock, you're awesome. Thank you so much for coming back and listening to these stories. There always, always is something to learn here. And whether you're new or a longtime listener, make sure that you go opt in at bizwomenrock.com because you will not only get updated on what's going on on the podcast, but you will definitely get into the trenches of the entire Biz Women Rock community, which includes a lot of phenomenal resources for you, okay? bizwomenrock.com. How do I even begin explaining the powerhouse that is Dory Clark? You are in for such a treat right now. Um, Dory is a speaker, she's a writer, she's a consultant, and even though those credentials are attached to a lot of people, believe me that no two stories are the same, and that is absolutely true with Dory. As a matter of fact, while we were interviewing, um, she was sitting in a hotel room in Seattle because she was getting ready to speak for Microsoft. So um, yeah, she's got some very cool stories to share. And most importantly, she goes in pretty deep about how she does everything. She talks about how she secures some major keynotes and how she actually gave Uh, I think her number was 61 talks in 2014, I think 59 in 2013. So this woman kind of knows how to get a gig. So we go into that. She talks about how to build an email list um, and why that's important. And she talks about how she has gotten on so many podcasts and why that's really wonderful and why that's been really helpful for her business and how to go about doing it. She has a really great tip and from a podcaster who is looking for guests and always on the lookout for really great people, I will vouch for the tip that she gives because it's amazing and I've never heard anyone else say it. So um, she, I got to say, like this interview is really a very nuts and bolts. This is how the business of a speaker, a writer, and um, a consultant really works. And she's so giving with the information that she shares. So uh, if you are thinking about or already are any one of those three, then this is absolutely an interview to listen to. So let's get started with Dory. Dory, what is going on, girl? Thank you so much for being on the show with me today. Hey, Katie. Thanks for having me. I got to tell you, I... um, you know, I always have like little pre-conversations with all of my guests and it's, you know, we're just sort of exchanging kind of like last minute questions and answers and all that sort of stuff so that you and I can both be prepped. And um, and you're you're like one of those people who is just like, yeah, let's go. Come on, let's go. <laughs> Are you always filled with this much energy? <laughs> well, I am in Seattle right now, as we discussed on my book tour. And so I've had, you know, per... Uh, you know, the, the sort of sweet spot of the city, I have had more caffeine than usual. Uh, so 
<laughs> I'm pretty pumped up, but I may be even more pumped up than usual. Oh my gosh, that is hilarious. Woohoo! Don't mess with Dory and Seattle Caffeine. So um, thank you for being here. I, I have been really excited to have you on the show ever since you and I started communicating via email and, uh, and I got to learn a little bit more about your story. And I got to tell you, what fascinates me most about you is the, I guess, the level of professionalism in which you do what you do. And we're going to get into a little bit more about exactly what it is that you do. But in order to get there, I want to start kind of a little bit at the beginning as to what were you doing before you really started your business, before you went out on your own? Can you give just a little brief kind of like description of kind of who you were before you launched your company? Sure. So I uh, graduated from uh, from graduate school. I, th- I went and got a master's of theological studies in 1999, and I thought I was going to go into academia and get a doctorate, but I got turned down by all the doctoral programs <laughs> I applied for. So that that wasn't going to happen. So I actually spent uh, you know a number of months doing internships to try to get professional experience because apparently I needed that now. And uh, my first job ended up being as a political reporter in Boston. Uh, I did that for about a year. I then lost my job and got laid off and had to reinvent myself into uh, working on the other side for political campaigns. So I was a press secretary on a governor's race and then a spokesperson on a presidential race. They both lost. (laughs) And uh, so I came back. uh, I ran a nonprofit for a couple of years. And that that process of learning how to run a business, uh, because, you know, a nonprofit is a business, yeah. uh, taught me that I could do it for myself. So I, I launched my own uh, consultancy in 2006. Now, had you ever had any sort of like entrepreneurial inkling before then? Were you one of these kids like selling candy when you were a young girl or, or did this whole idea of like, oh, I can do it on my own? Did, was that, did that you just kind of spark that right before? Oh, you know, I, I did have entrepreneurial urges as a kid, but they were just continually stymied. I mean, this was, uh, this was, of course, before the, the internet era. And so, you know, I wanted to have the proverbial lemonade stand, but I lived in this really rural, remote area, and there would have been no one to buy <laughs> lemonade from. And I had, you know, all these ideas of starting businesses, and my parents were just like, well, you need a permit for that. And I'm like, no, you know, it just seems so grossly unfair. Uh, so I, uh, I'm i very excited that people nowadays can just get up and do it, because yeah. uh, I remember being seven years old and really being mad that that wasn't possible. <laughs> um, um, so so let's talk about kind of the first year of you launching your marketing consultancy. So what was that like? Because this this was a now granted you had been running the nonprofit, but now you were really this this was totally on your own. You didn't have a team with you. What kind of things were you making sure to do or d- that you did back then that were right? Yeah, well, you know, w- one thing that I noticed right away was it was actually a lot less stressful running my own business. A lot of times people think that entrepreneurship is, you know, so risky and, you know, that's why they don't do it is they think it's so risky. But the truth was it felt a lot less risky because I felt pretty sure that one way or another I could always, uh, you know, feed myself or have a roof over my head, um, whereas I, I would just be kept up at night worrying about the fate of this little nonprofit mm-hmm. where, you know, the board really didn't raise any money. It was mostly my job, and uh, I just kept being so paranoid that 
that it would collapse under my watch, uh, which it didn't, but, uh, but it stressed me out a ton. So there was a lot of liberation in only being responsible for myself. Uh, but I would say, um, you know, some of the things that I, that I did right, um, I, I was certainly, uh, you know, pretty dogged about reaching out to my existing contacts and letting them know about my business and, uh, and seeing if they needed anything. And that was valuable because when you are starting out as an entrepreneur, you're not going to get business from strangers. I mean, you know, sure, if you have a coffee shop or something where you're, you know, selling a low-priced, uh, you know, item, you know, I might take a chance and pay two dollars to, you know, have a, a croissant or something. But if you're if you're doing a, a more uh, high-margin consulting business, you're not going to get a stranger off the street. You're you're going to get your first business from people you know, and you can't be afraid to reach out and, and let them know that you're there. What what advice would you give to anyone doing that? Because um, and whether you know their first couple of years in business or whether they've been doing it a while, because that you know I think oftentimes we can shy away from sales because it feels so salesy. But how do you let people who you know uh, know about you in a way that gives them the opportunity to have services with you that isn't smarmy? Yeah, I you know I think that people worry about this too much, and I think that. Uh, you know, it becomes an excuse for them that, oh, they don't want to be too salesy, they don't want to be too smarmy, and then they take that as an excuse to just not tell anyone that they have a business. And, you know, that's, uh, I I think that that's kind of problematic uh, because, you know, you're you're giving yourself an out. Um, I I think that, um, you know, as long as you're not pressuring someone, I think it's entirely appropriate to make them aware of what you're doing. So, you know, very early on, I mean, a really simple thing is, you know, to send personal emails. You know, a blast email is fine to let everybody know, you know, right up front that you're launching. But, you know, let's be honest, most people are going to delete it or it's going to be funneled to the promotions section of the Google folder or something. And they probably won't see it. So they're only going to clue in if you send them a personal message. Um, and, you know, just letting them know and saying, hey, I've started this business. Here's what I do. Uh, you know, here's, uh, you know, some of the, the qualifications I bring. If you, you know, if you know anybody, yourself or others, that happen to need something like this, I'd really appreciate it if you could, you know, connect us or let them know about me. You know, that's great. That's totally low pressure. It's not like you're going to, you know, you're doing the assumptive close and would you like me to call next Wednesday or next Thursday? <laughs> you know, <laughs> You're, uh, you're giving, you're giving them uh, information. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. And I love that you address that and just sort of like fizzled the, you know, the fear out of it because it is. I think we can talk it up and, and just have so much fear of it that we just don't do it. And, and I agree with you. There's a way to do it that's very transparent, very real. And like, hey, if you know anyone, you know, just let me know, all that good stuff. So, so your, I mean, your business has transitioned and evolved so much since you started it. Uh, back in 2006, can you pinpoint like a moment when it started to transition out of the marketing strategy consulting? Sure. And, you know, to a certain extent, I still do that. Um, but it, it is much less. I mean, I, I made a very uh, specific decision, um, I would say, in 2010 uh, to, try to, to try to pivot my business. I was, up until... Up until when my first book came out, Reinventing You, in 2013, I was getting basically 100% or very close to 100% of my income from consulting engagements where I was, you know, doing classic stuff, you know, rolling up my sleeves and meeting with a company and helping them with a social media strategy or marketing plan or something like that. 
And that's that's great. It's a good way to earn a living. But I actually felt like it, it was a little risky in some ways to put all my eggs in one basket. Um, now, one form of diversification is to do the same thing but to have a bunch of different clients. That's that's certainly less risky than being a full-time employee where you're, you have just one source of your paycheck right. and 100% of your money comes from one client that right. could let you go at any point. Um, but another kind of diversification comes from doing different types of things. And I thought, you know, that's, that's something that can give me uh, more variety but also more economic security. And so I made a decision that I really wanted to try to pivot so that I could um, – reach a place where my income was coming in from different sources. And so specifically what I do today uh, is I have money coming in, some from consulting, some from, uh, from my writing, like my books, uh, Stand Out and Reinventing You, uh, some from uh, keynote speaking that I do. Uh, I also teach executive education for various universities. And then finally, I've started doing some high-level executive coaching. Um, so it's a very diversified income stream. And it was uh, a decision that I made probably starting in about 2010 that I wanted to aim towards it. Uh, I started creating a lot more content and doing things that would enable me to build the platform such that I could write a book. Right. And then that accelerated the process. Did you um, do a traditionally published books? I did, yeah. Um, uh, Reinventing You, my first book, came out uh, two years ago from Harvard Business Review Press. And my new book, Stand Out, came out about two weeks ago from Woo! Portfolio, which is the business imprint of Penguin. Nice. Okay. Well, and this is what I got to say because, you know, in my research about you, I was, you know, checking out your website, checking out your blog. You're a tremendous writer. Like, you're a very good writer. And there's a there's a big difference between somebody who just kind of puts out content and somebody who can actually engage people with their words. And you're definitely somebody who can engage somebody. So as you were – I want to know a little bit about your writing process, especially for that first one. And um, what did you really learn through actually putting this book together, putting your content, putting your ideas and your knowledge in a book form, and then publishing it traditionally? What did you learn in that whole process? So in the course of, uh, of you know, writing, I would say that it's uh, – I learned a couple of things. I mean, one is probably the majority of my learning was about book marketing, which is its own really interesting microcosm yep. um, set amidst the fact that – you know, the, the world is changing. I mean, traditional uh, publishing, the boundaries between doing a commercially published book and a self-published book are blurring uh, every day and diminishing. I think in a few years they'll probably be gone entirely. Um, also, we live in a world where fewer people are buying books. And as a result of that, you uh, you have to market differently. You have to you know sort of understand what the public is after. I mean, books are still very powerful for conveying ideas, but uh, but fewer people want them. And so I think that it really shows that you need to be willing to, uh, to talk about your ideas in different ways and to reach people where they're at. Um, so, for instance, for me, for my new uh, book, Stand Out, I did uh, over a period of, of, you know, a month or two, uh, I did 40 podcast interviews talking about the book so that I could uh, really begin to spread the word because I think more and more 
that's one of the ways that people are getting their information. Right. And you want to share the ideas and hopefully share enough that, that they uh, say, wow, I, I need more of this. Right. Um, what, what has worked, like, are there some sort of like foundational things when it comes to book marketing that are sort of universal and timeless that you think works, you know, five years ago and five years from now that you have tried and found a lot of success with? Well, you know, I, I think that in some ways, um, people's understanding of, uh, of what really works has improved. I mean, you know, the historical form of, uh, of book marketing was uh, just oh you know let's let's send out copies to newspapers and magazines and hopefully they'll write articles about it right and you know that's great but uh, it's not necessarily the most effective way um, I mean they they tried it and and it was it's impossible to disprove it if you know what I mean um, so people keep doing it and and yes you know surely it is useful for people to be exposed to. Uh, your name, but uh, but now we actually have things where it's a lot more traceable. Um, they have uh, they have tools like lead pages where if you are doing a guest post, for instance, you can uh, you can plug it in so that you can actually literally see where that traffic is coming from, yeah. uh, so you can quantify it. Um, one thing that I did for my new book for Stand Out uh, that has been particularly useful, and I was I was just not organized or smart enough to do it with. Uh, with reinventing you, but I, I think really is a best practice that I'd advocate for any of your listeners who are thinking of writing books. Is you know it's a fairly weak request to say, "Hey, sign up for my email list," you know, because people don't know what they're getting. Right. Uh, I mean, sure they'll they'll sign up if they just love you, but for most people, they're like, "Huh, I wonder, I wonder if it's worthwhile. I wonder why I should do that," and so they probably won't uh, because they're probably getting too much mail as it is. So if you have a really good, you know, really genuinely valuable giveaway for them, a reason for them to sign up, that is super helpful. And so something that I've done, which actually enabled me to grow my email list uh, launch week, I mean, literally in one week, I got a thousand new email signups, was that I I created a 42-page workbook, which is uh, an adaptation of standout. And it's, uh, there are 139 questions on it that, that lead readers uh, incrementally through the process of how to develop their breakthrough ideas and build a following around it. And so folks who go to my website, doryclark.com, just if you're listening, it's D-O-R-I-E-C-L-A-R-K.com, uh, they can download it. And, uh, you know, folks have really been responding to that because they know, oh, you know, if I have this 42-page workbook I can get for free, that's something that, that really is going to be valuable, and it's encouraged people to want to dive in. Right. Well, and I, from a first-person user's perspective, I was really impressed by, when I went to your website, there are, you know, you get the pop-up and it just says, hey, you have this, get this 139 thing. My initial response was, holy cow, that's huge. Like, that's a big giveaway. <laughs> oh my gosh, okay, that's kind of cool. And um, and then it was interesting going to a different page, there was a different pop-up for something completely different and still valuable. So um, I think that's huge. And you're right. I mean, tools like Lead Pages are so wonderful in allowing you to uh, really grasp that information. So let me ask you this, because you're talking about building up your email list. How important is your email list? How often do you communicate with the people who are on your email list? And what kind of things are you talking about? 
So I am a huge fan of email lists. I think they are tremendously valuable, and I think tremendously underrated in a lot of ways because you know so much of what gets the ink in the popular press is about various uh, social media platforms. But what's really important to understand is that you know if you've built up a huge Facebook presence, that's great. That's a wonderful thing. But Mark Zuckerberg owns that relationship, not you. And with you know a, a tweak to the algorithm or a whim, he can take those those uh, readers away from you essentially by just making it that much more difficult for them to access your information unless right. you pay up. Um, so I, I think that recognizing the precariousness of the situation is the first step because you need to to grasp that what what endures is a relationship that you have directly with your uh, readers. And that's something you can really only get through having their, their email address and access to it. Um, I think in terms of how often to stay in touch, you know, the key, of course, is to not do it so much that you annoy them, mm-hmm. but also not so, so little that they forget who you are and are like, wait, what is this? Um, so, you know, I would say that monthly is a decent amount. I would say that, um, you know, that even up to weekly is a decent amount. Uh, if you start doing it where you're hitting people, you know, three, three times a week or four times a week, you know, by that point they're probably like, oh, my God, no, that's too much. Uh, but, you know, it, it varies, obviously. And you can also train your readers in what to expect. As long as you're upfront about your frequency, if they feel good about it, right. uh, that's, that's really what matters. Right. Now, you mentioned before that you kind of went on this podcast tour because you knew that for your new book, um, you knew that that was a way, kind of a new wave way that people are really listening and, and ingesting content and learning about things. So what was your experience like there? And I, and I want to put in my personal experience once you explain this because um, I, I was looking at your website and there's all these different podcasts that you've been on and there are some seriously respectable podcasts, The Art of Charm, Star of the Doubts, The $100 MBA. These are very well done podcasts. And so my question to you is, if for anyone out there who is interested in becoming a guest on a podcast, what have you done that has worked for you to get onto so many podcasts? Well, you know, like like anything else, this is, uh, you know, like getting a client or something like that. I think largely it's a referral business. Um, you know, you certainly could, uh, you know, just get people's email address and send them a cold email, and that might work, you know. It, it, you know, there's, uh, it's perfectly fine to do that. But it's a lot better, of course, if you can get a, uh, a warm connection and have someone make the introduction for you. So if you have a friend, uh, you know, I, I would say that the starting point, if you want to be on a podcast is to scroll through the list of all of the people who uh, have been on that podcast before and see who you know, see who you're connected to. And uh, if you have a connection to them, you might, you might not even know that they've been on it. Uh, but if you see it, you know, send, them, send them a message and ask if they might be willing to refer you. Mm-hmm. Um, that would be a, a good starting point. I mean, I'll also say, too, like some people can abuse this, so I want to be uh, <laughs> clear. You know, if it's somebody that you met once, like five years ago, it's going to be a little awkward, right? <laughs> this, is, this is a strategy for friends or, you know, people that you actually legitimately know. Right. But, uh, but if you do, that would be the best way to do it. Uh, if not, you know, what I would say also is that, um, if you can find a way to meet the podcaster uh, in person, that is good because probably there's a lot of people who are 
who are emailing them and just sort of barraging them. Right. But, you know, uh, Jared Easley from Starve to Doubts and uh, Omar Zenholm from $100 MBA are actually folks that I, that I met at a conference. And so, you know, they were very warm and, and wanted me on their shows. And, uh, you know, it was, it was much easier, I think, to make that connection because we knew each other in person. So if you are able uh, to find out if there's a conference that a lot of these folks are going to be at, uh, that's a way to distinguish yourself because instead of all the supplicants who are just anonymous names behind an email address, uh, you'll actually be a real person that they've connected with. Yeah, yeah, that's such a great, great tip. And so I'll say my personal experience here is that's exactly how you and I connected is one of my past guests had said, you need to meet Dory. Uh, she needs to be on your show. And because, and I always take that very seriously because a past guest understands, you know, by the time they're past guests, what this is, platform is all about. So they don't take it lightly. <clears throat> and, um, and they don't do it just for, they're, they're very clear that, okay, this has got to be valuable for Katie's audience. And so, um, and, and you were fantastic. And I think this is a great point to, kind of make sure that you're following up your point with, which is, you know, you you really have to be genuine in what you're offering that particular audience. And you were very clear about that. It wasn't just all about, oh, here I am and I have my new book out and I need to, you know, promote it. It was not that at all. It was very much like, hey, here's a little bit more about me. Here's what I think I can offer your audience. Here's, you know, why I think I could, wh- who I am could be a value to them. And let me know what your thoughts are. And I just thought it was so refreshing and so authentic. And so that was one reason why I was like, okay, all right, you know, I'll, I'll check this girl out. And uh, was definitely interested, definitely, you know, really impressed. So that's just a really, really great tip. Um, I want to move into your speaking that you do, because as we speak, you are literally out in Seattle getting ready to speak for Microsoft, and that is not a small company. So um, you had let me know beforehand that um, you have done, in 2014, you did 61 talks, um, mostly keynote talks, and in 2013, the year before that, you did 59. So uh, you're kind of on the rampage, girl. You've done a lot of talks. You've given a lot of speeches. And there are a lot of people out there who who feel like they need to be out speaking. They're trying to build a speaking career uh, and a speaking business and one that's lucrative, like one that it's not just a bunch of speaking for free, which, you know, is great to do, but they really want to produce revenue uh, in exchange for their speaking capability. So can you talk a little bit about maybe the evolution that you've had as a speaker, how you started and what you have learned along the way that has helped you get into places like Microsoft and be able to speak for them? Sure. So I have a few thoughts about this. The first one is that I, um, in my own experience, and I think looking looking at colleagues who have built a speaking business, uh, I've discovered that there's there's really this this sort of four step process to becoming a uh, a paid you know professional speaker. The the first step is when no one wants you to speak. Period. <laughs> which we all start there, right? They're like, "Who are you?" Uh, the second step, which you graduate into, is they would be delighted for you to speak if you will speak for free. Right. Um, the third step is they would be glad to have you speak. They know that you probably require something, um, but they want you to speak for a really low fee. That's you know, like, oh, well, we have. $500 or something like that. Right. And then the final step is when you, you at, lo- at long last, graduate into uh, being offered and getting um, actual keynote fees and, you know, what you are presu- presumably by that point worth. 
And, you know, it is, it is a, uh, an evolution that, you know, I mean, let's, let's leave aside if you suddenly have a massively best-selling book or something. Um, but for most people, it's an evolution that, that definitely takes time uh, to, uh, to develop. And so like everybody else, I was speaking for free originally and had to kind of work my way up uh, to be able to start getting money for it. And, you know, I'll also say, too, even... Uh, even for people who are professional speakers, there's still occasions where you speak for free, right. whether you know, it may be for a charity event or it may be for some event that just for, for some other reason. You know, it's like, oh, it's you know, great on your resume or there's awesome people there that you want to meet or you know, something you might speak for free. Um, but, um, you know, like uh, for a university or something like that. Right. But, you know, over, over time, you eventually become primarily a paid speaker. Um, I would say that probably the thing that made the biggest difference was, in fact, writing my book. Um, that is still a huge marker of credibility. And it's kind of a, it's kind of a cue or a signal to uh, conference organizers. Like, oh, this person has a book. Therefore, they are, they are serious and worthy of consideration. Uh, whereas bef- before you have a book, um, it's, it's almost like you're, you're not even on a lot of people's radar. Right. Uh, I think the idea is that, you know, anybody can maybe write one or two good blog posts, but it takes somebody who really is an expert in their field to be able to create an entire book about something. So they begin to really take you a lot more seriously. Hmm. Just to kind of just to pinpoint this information, give me a, a spread of what keynote people are getting as far as fees, like from X amount of dollars to X amount of dollars? Like, because I'm totally clueless about that. What's that range? Sure. So, you know, I would, I would say that the highest level, if you, I mean, clearly celebrities, you, re, you know, right. you read about this in the press, like Tony Blair or Bill Clinton or Hillary Clinton, you know, they can get $100,000, $250,000 for a speech. Um, that is crazy. Um, <laughs> what is, what is but, the general population really getting? What's that, that spread look like? Yeah, exactly. So you, you and I, unfortunately, will probably never get six figures for a speech. Dang it! Um, <laughs> I know. It is, it is such a letdown. Um, I would say that, that for the most in-demand uh, speakers, uh, generally, if, if you're a non-celebrity, it usually tops out at twenty-five dollars to $35,000 per speech. All right. um, there are some people who are very, very famous, uh, you know, best-selling business authors slash thinkers, and I have heard reports that they've gotten 60 or 80 grand for a speech, but that, I have to believe, is fairly rare. Um, more, co- more common, if you're pretty much at the top of your game, it's more like twenty five to $35,000. Um, you know, I'm not at that level yet, although I'm, I'm working to get there. Uh, for, you know, I would say, uh, you know, lesser known, you know, sort of non- uh, household name per se uh, speakers, you know, five thousand would be low uh, right. for for a keynote speaker. Usually, it would be more like ten to twenty five okay. is range for for someone who has enough stature to be a keynote speaker, but is not uh, is not necessarily um, super well known by the entire populace yet. Gotcha. Okay. Cool. Now, as far as speaking goes, it took a lot of hustle to get those 61 talks or those 59 talks for the year before. What um, resources or what habits or what little 
kind of golden things have you found that work really well to get you in the door so that you can go speak to some big big name companies like Microsoft? Like what has worked for you to get those gigs? Yeah, sure. So for instance, for Microsoft, um, this is again where a book can be really helpful. Uh, this is now going to be the second time that I've spoken for them. The first time was uh, when I was on book tour for Reinventing You. Now I'm giving my standout talk. And uh, there is a, uh, a company called Kim Ricketts Books in Seattle, which has, has themselves a pre-existing relationship with uh, Microsoft. Uh, similar, similarly, there's one called Hooks Book Events. Uh, in D.C., which uh, which does as well, and they are they are booksellers that broker events, uh, so you know, and, and have these corporate clients. So they can actually be helpful to you if you have a book uh, in potentially getting you in in front of this audience. Um, so you know, clearly they have to think it would be a fit for that audience. Right. But that's one way of doing it. Um, I'll also just mention before I forget that I, I have written a lot um, on this topic of how to build a speaking career and uh, other things. I mean, I've done posts for Forbes, for Entrepreneur about it. And so if folks are interested in learning more, on my website, doryclark.com, I have more than 400 free articles listed there um, under the Articles tab, so folks can check that out. Um, but the other point that I would, I would just make is that, you know, as, as always, um, it's not the company that hires you. It's an individual within the company. So if you really want to speak for, for some firm, um, the best bet is to, uh, is to just figure out, you know, who, who do you know in that company? And, you know, they can uh, potentially either hire you themselves or perhaps more likely um, help connect you to the person who, uh, who can hire you. So if you have an in at a company, that's usually the best way to do it. If you're, if you're coming in from outside and being like, I really want to speak at Apple, who, you know, who at Apple can, can hire me? Uh, you know, you're, you're probably just going to be viewed as like, you know, a marauding Visigoth <laughs> that they need to repel. Um, so, so it's all about finding an internal contact that can be your advocate. I love that. And so, so very true. Um, Dory, I'm really interested in you and how you approach your business. Like what, like, especially now, after all these years of evolving with your business and all the things that you've learned in your company, how do you approach your business? Um, like, how do you structure your day so that you're productive? How do you, how do you look at your business in a way so that you're constantly kind of staying on top of it rather than getting lost in all the details of it? Well, one of the ways that that I try to think about it, at least, uh, you know, during during the book launch, you know, because you have to understand there are phases to um, how you can do your business. I mean, there's going to be busy periods for everyone, and you have to just be willing to let certain things go, or at least put them on the back burner. So for me, um, when I'm in book promotion mode, that becomes really the you know the driving force for everything. Right. And so I'm I'm willing to uh, you know do less paid client work or other things because I know that promoting the book is so important. And so one metric that I have is that I try to do at least two things a day that will result in media hits for the book. So, for instance, today I did uh, two podcasts and a webinar uh, talking about the book. So I'm actually, you know, overweight today compared right. to the goal, which is, uh, which is great. Tomorrow I'm doing, I think, four. And uh, so, you know, I'm, tr- I'm trying to, uh, uh, to make sure that there's just this constant stream of, uh, of content that people can be exposed to and help guide them back 
so that they will want to check out, uh, stand out, or purchase it. Right. Um, but, you know, structuring my, my days overall, um, I would say, you know, you want to have themes. And so for me, for the first uh, six months of 2015, my three themes that I focus on, because I think you, you can't really have maybe more than that, because uh, you do need to focus. I try to make sure that everything that I do is somehow tied to one of these th- three things. Um, number one, I wanted to see if I could get my book to be a bestseller. Number two, I wanted to uh, have by the end of the year to double the size of my email list. So mm-hmm. I wanted to make sure that during the first six months I was putting energy into enabling myself to do that. And, uh, and then I wanted to find a girlfriend. <laughs> so nice. that was... Those uh, are all really good things. <laughs> I'm sorry? I said those are all really good things. Now, Thank will they, you. Will they change for month six through 12? Or depending on if you've hit them or not, you just keep on focusing on them? Yeah, well, so, you know, the, my book uh, was released April 21st. So by the end of June, I will pretty much be past the biggest period of pushing uh, for the book. So, you know, I'm, of course, I'm going to continue to, uh, you know, to try to keep it out there because I want it to do well over time and be a lasting title, but I no longer need to focus on it so intensively. I mean, I don't have to spend six hours a day promoting the book, you know, in, in right. July. Right. Um, so, so that's a spot where I can definitely um, sort of revamp and maybe come up with a different thing. So, you know, I've been toying around with different ideas. I might do more with video. I might do more with, uh, you know, with audio or, um, you know, possibly doing my own podcast or something like that. So I'm, I'm looking at other possibilities, but these are things that I really didn't have time to consider in a systematic way right. uh, while I was focused on the book. So, so I will definitely be changing that goal moving forward. And now you've heard it here first, you know, super savvy, uh, single businesswoman is open for you ladies. So, you know, <laughs> go to joryclock.com. Um, so, uh, the last question I want to ask you, which is, uh, you know, you, I'm always fascinated by this with, with the women that I interview here, which is like, there's always seems to feel like there's this constant flow of like focused energy and like you know there's this there's this commonality between the most successful businesswomen that there's it's a very focused you're constantly moving you're constantly going and you've just got so many great things that have happened and you keep on making them happen so what how do you approach like you know how do you stay fired up I mean even in really dark moments or sad moments or you know burnt out moments like how do you make sure to keep on going what is that in you yeah, well, in terms of in terms of wanting to uh, um, to keep going, there's so <laughs> this is a good and a bad thing, right? Uh, in psychology, there is a uh, concept known as hedonic adaptation, and basically, what it means is you know a, a phenomenon that will be well known, I'm sure, to your listeners. Um, you you might set a goal for yourself, and you might achieve it, and and that's great, but that doesn't really make you happy in a lasting way mm-hmm. because as humans, we are always moving the goalpost. And, you know, you think like, oh, wow, if I could just get a new car, and then you get a new car, and it's like, well, yeah, but if I could just get a whatever, right. or, you know, oh, if I could just publish a book, and it's, it's like, oh, but yeah, but, but if, if I could just publish a best-selling book, <laughs> and, you know, you, you, keep, you keep moving it. And I think that, uh, you know, 
Buddhists would probably say, well, you, you know, you need to make yourself aware of that phenomenon and you need to dial back on it because it's not good for you. Um, but, you know, it is human nature. And so to a certain extent, I think that's what keeps everybody going, is that we're never quite satisfied with the place that we, that we are presently at. Um, and, you know, that, that is good and bad. Uh, so I try to moderate it as much as, as I can. You know, I think it is a good thing to, uh, to take pleasure in where you are now. And, uh, and so for me, actually, you know, one of the things that I try to do is to make sure that even in the midst of a lot of um, pushing, a lot of busyness, that there are uh, small uh, satisfactions that I can take or things that are fun. I mean, I'm in, I'm in Seattle right now, and... Uh, you know, of course, this is a city that's known for great coffee. And so twice today, I, I wouldn't normally do this, but, uh, but you know, I've, I've now had two lattes. I usually do one uh, because it's just, it's so delicious. And there's this place right downstairs from my hotel. It's really amazing. And I'm like, you know, I might as well max out on the small pleasures of what the place that I'm in uh, provides. And I'm going to be going, I'm still kind of on East Coast time, so, uh, so I'm going to be going out uh, for a very early dinner tonight, and I'm going to take a long walk and, you know, go to a nice place. And uh, even though I have spent most of the day in the hotel room doing interviews, or, and, you know, I'm going to spend most of tonight being on the computer and answering emails, uh, I want to make sure that there are moments where I can at least enjoy the place that I am. Right. I love that. Well, Dory, I really want to thank you so much. I have enjoyed the place where I am right now in having this conversation with you. And uh, I just really thank you so much for it and for giving us so many great insights into how you've built your business all these years. Thank you so much. Katie, thank you so much. Bizwomenrock.com forward slash 212. That's forward slash 212. That's where you're going to find all the links to uh, Dory's site. And as she stated in there, she's got a lot of cool stuff to give away to you that's going to be directly helpful to you. Um, and some super cool quotes that she said. I always love picking those out. And um, and some really great resources that we talked about, like lead pages. So you can get all that on the show notes page at bizwomenrock.com forward slash 212. I don't know if I can choose just one nugget that she gave in there, but I will say this one. The, the one that I absolutely kind of threw me for a loop that I had no clue about was that if you have a book, you can actually um, go to booksellers in local areas who will work as brokers for you to help you get into some of the places uh, whose companies might uh, benefit from your book and the contents in there. So that was really, really great. Hopefully that was a good take home for you too. Uh, What did you get out of this? I would love to know. There was so much here. Um, make sure to go to the website. I just gave it here before and, um, and put a comment in the show notes and let me know what you thought. Let me know what you got out of it. I'd love to hear. All right. I can't wait to see you on the next episode.